Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Got a fun show. I'm excited for this one. I, I think I'm excited because uh, fans ask me, it's almost like a FAQ of what fans ask me in the offseason, and, and I, we embrace the discussion. And so we're going to look at what things need to happen for Michigan to become a national contender this year. And, and kind of looking ahead at, at the future. I mean, if, if they're going to make that so-called leap, what sort of things are standing in Michigan's way? Um, this, this comes a little bit. Bill Connolly of ESPN, really love his stuff. I know Steve does too. He did four ifs. And Steve and I have kind of gone back and forth on a few others as well. So it uh, should be a fun series. If you like the podcast, be sure to rate it, uh, subscribe to it. We talk about football, basketball, and recruiting uh, twice a week. During the off-season, during the season, our schedules may shift just a little bit. Uh, you can always read our stories at themichiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. But, Steve, uh, we'll get to Bills in a second uh, because I, I like all four. I do. But there was one that I don't know. Maybe, he, maybe it's because he probably could have applied it to all of the teams he wrote about because he did – I think he did 19 teams, uh, you know, the different ifs standing in their way. But the big one for Michigan – Starts, starts right here, year six of Jim Harbaugh's tenure. They need a quarterback star. They do. I mean, they haven't had a, a quarterback who, uh, I mean, you know, you can get a little generous with the definitions if you want. I mean, D- Denard Robinson, playmaking quarterback. Uh, Chad Henney, you know, put up pretty good numbers. But, you know, I've talked to some, to some people who've been around Michigan football for a long time, and, and they almost say it's, they would almost say it's been since Drew Henson that Michigan had a true, you know, star quarterback in that this guy could be a first-round pick as a quarterback. This guy could be All-American. Now, obviously, <laughs> kind of hard to say that when they've sent so many different quarterbacks to the NFL. And, and again, Denard, Chad Henney, this isn't meant to dis- disparage them. But if you look around college football, the teams that have breakthrough seasons – usually had a breakthrough quarterback. The teams that are winning national titles have the best quarterbacks. Think about last year's um, college football playoff field. You had Trevor Lawrence, you had Joe Burrow, you had Jalen Hurts, and you had um, Justin Fields. Three of those four are going to be top two picks in the draft when it's all said and done. And the other one is Jalen Hurts, who put up really good college numbers. I, I, I understand that he isn't quite the pro prototype, but if you look at the playoffs the last few years, you really have to have a first round quarterback and Michigan's last first round draft pick quarterback. Steve, do you know off the top of your head who it is? No, I don't actually. It's the dude coaching the team, Jim Harbaugh. Sure. It's been a long time. So to me, it starts there. I, I, you know, I think I called it low hanging fruit. If you, you know, constantly say, yo, you just need a star quarterback. Well, everybody wants a star quarterback, but you know, we're entering year six. Jim Harbaugh was, was meant. I mean, part of the caveat when he was brought here was he's going to find the next star quarterback because in a way he was by some definitions, the last star quarterback. And so, I mean, second team, all American, I think Vinny Testaverde was the only one ahead of him. Um, you know, very, very good quarterback. And they've had good quarterback play. I don't mean to sell anybody short. It's just that star. I mean, think about, 
well, let's, let's play this game. If Michigan has Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, or Jalen Hurts on their team last year, do they make the playoff? I'm inclined to think they do. So, Steve, your thoughts? To me, I think this is the really the start, middle, and finish of this conversation if you really want to have a short one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, pretty obvious, right? I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's weird because you could argue even in some of the big games they've lost that they've had pretty good quarterback play, but then the right. defense has let them down. It's, so it's, it's, it's one of, for Michigan, I feel like one of their deals is they've, it's always been like one or the other. Uh, they haven't had, and it's been a long time. They had a really, really big, big game that they've put it together on all sides of the ball again, particularly against Ohio state. But yeah, I mean, that's the easiest answer, but like you said, you call it low hanging fruit, but like I said, it's, it's low hanging fruit for a reason. Um, it's you know, correct his, fruit. Yeah. Yes, exactly. History says that if you want to make the college football playoffs, you have to have, at the very least, you have to have an efficient quarterback who makes very few mistakes with the football. I think it kind of how Georgia got there with Jake Fromm. You know, Fromm, not flashy, not a guy throwing 45, 50 touchdowns, but a consistent guy, uh, you know, making little to few mistakes a game and uh, moving the chains consistently. So, you know, if, I, I do think Michigan can get where they want to go without having maybe a first-round pick type guy there, but mm-hmm. that's the easiest way by far is to yeah. have a guy have a guy that can care like a guy that can carry your team. Are you gonna find? Are you? I don't know if we'll ever see an offensive season like what Joe Burrow put up last year. Sure, no, that's but, that's fair. But that idea, just the the in the manner in which he seemed to carry LSU last year um, is, you know, is, is something I think that you'll see in college football again, as far as a guy that can kind of put the offense on his shoulders, make the plays needed to, to win. Um, you know, really that's, you talk, I think Clemson's always been the program people have talked about as far as, you know, they kind of sort of came out of nowhere, you know, all of a sudden they didn't, when they first started to have some big success under, under Dabo Swinney, they weren't recruiting at like a super, super high level. Uh, they were recruiting at a good level, but not where they are now. And the biggest thing that changed was Deshaun Watson. That's what really mm-hmm. changed the whole equation for Clemson. So I think if you're Michigan and, and some of these other programs that quite aren't quite in that first you know tier discussion, so it's the same five or six schools that we're talking about every year, that's the easiest way to get there is to kind of strike gold at quarterback with, with somebody you know, that, that you can develop, that you've developed, recruited, developed, and, and worked on or whatever. Right. Here's another stat. I, I know I mentioned the first round quarterback one, uh, which is still relevant and is Jim Harbaugh in 1987. The, in the last 22 drafts, Michigan has had only one quarterback taken before the sixth round, and it was Chad Henney. So that should, I mean, you know, I, I'm not trying to, we're not trying to, poo-poo on Michigan they've had a few reasons for that but at the end of the day if you don't have a quarterback who is even seen as a top 200 pick or top 150 pick or top 100 pick it's it's hard you face an uphill battle I mean you bring up a good point about Georgia Jake Fromm he was not not setting the world on fire is Michigan ever going to have the talent pool elsewhere that george is going to have right or right. or that a george a good georgia program could have i guess i should say because you know, georgia might go up and down but someone in the south is always going to have a really talented 
stacked deck. And so I don't know if Michigan ever will. I mean, you know, maybe if they get the ball rolling like Ohio State does, that's one thing. But in terms of being a breakthrough team, fastest path is quarterback. Um, number two, let's start. Let's go on Bill's list now. He says, if 2021 comes early. And so I thought this was interesting because when I was, when I've been doing, I did the depth chart uh, earlier this week for the offense. I'll, I'll do the defensive one um, in the next couple of days. You know, kind of looking around different position groups. How are things looking? I didn't really view this team as a young team, but he brings up a good point that it really is only six senior starters. And, and you know, obviously Nico Collins, um, Nick Eubanks. Well, now I'm blanking. Carlo Kemp, Quiddy Pay, um, Brad Hawkins, and Ambry Thomas. That's, that's really... It now, Josh Ross will be entering his fourth. You know, there, there'll be a couple. Chris Evans, if he starts, would, would make that list. But um, I guess it's a younger team than I thought. I, I Steve, I'll, I'll let you take the lead on this one. But obviously, there are some there are some really talented players. If Dax Hill looks like an NFL guy this year, if Aiden Hutchinson kind of takes that that leap to All Big Ten status, quitty, you know, if some of these. Cameron Grown, I think, is another one. There's a lot of very interesting second and third year players. And I, I, if they're hits, I think some of them have higher ceilings than some of the upperclassmen on the team. And so I guess that's where things get interesting. Uh, you know, I think Giles Jackson and, and Ronnie Bell are another couple ones. I mean, Ronnie Bell started to take that leap last year. Does he take it all the way this year? And so hadn't really thought about this. I thought this was an interesting one, but Michigan. Are they a sneaky young team? And what, what do you make of kind of those second and third year players? A couple others for, for, for the fans, Mike Barrett, Chris Hinton, um, you know, the offensive line, really the entire group. Uh, we'll talk about them a little bit more in a moment. But I guess your thoughts on, on his first point, if 2021 comes early. Yeah, there are. I mean, you listed most of the guys I was thinking of. I think other guys like maybe like an Eric All. Mm-hmm. Um, the running even, backs. Yep, even a guy like David Ajabo. I mean, we were talking because you're talking about there are the younger guys that we already know are going to take on bigger roles this year. You think of the Giles Jacksons, the uh, Cam McGrown, who already took a pretty big role last year, but right. would be a all- potential all-conference type guy. Um, Aiden Hutchinson. I'm think I'm even thinking more of guys who have really yet to do anything that have an opportunity to do something. Ajabo, DJ Turner. Uh, I guess Daxon Hill wouldn't really count, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's an interesting roster. I think the one thing I think of right now when I look at their roster is it, it just, it, it finally kind of feels like they're, they're deep everywhere. Hmm. They're just not as experienced at the top in certain spots. And that's, and I think that's where it's yeah. going to be interesting. Uh, you know, as far as this year goes, you know, I think, but it, they're in a situation where you want, a handful of these inexperienced guys to take leaps of sorts, you know, even mini leaps or semi leaps to, uh, you know, contributor level, you know, or even a guy like Donovan Jeter, you know, who, who is still on the roster. I think the staff is still counting on him or believing that he's got something there. Luigi Villain, you know, Mm -hmm. another one. So they got guys that, you're waiting and wondering on and to see if this is, if this could be the year they, you know, these guys put it together or whatever, but uh, yeah, they are, they, it's, it's weird. 
because they the bulk of their production this season, yeah, will come from guys who will be back in 2021. Right. So, right. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It is. It is. I mean, it's, um, you know, Bill also mentioned Jalen Mayfield is another guy who, I mean, I don't know if he's gone after this season offensive line. I kind of think that he could stick around for a fourth season or he'd be more likely to uh, Hassan Haskins. I mean, the, you know, there are players who have contributed who, if they start to look like, you know, polished, complete product seniors, um, that, that does help Michigan and it helps them in a couple key areas that we'll bring up in a moment. Um, real quick, I know we've talked about the offensive line a lot, but Connolly brings up if a new offensive line gels, uh, he says Charbonnet and Haskins were brilliant late in 2019, as was Michigan offense as a whole, uh, but their degree of difficulty will increase considerably with both a new quarterback, likely either Dylan McCaffrey or Joe Milton, uh, and, and a new offensive line. So they have Jalen Mayfield. You know, he's, he's good. There's, there's really very little concern level there based on how he looked against Alabama and Ohio State, too. I don't mean to sell him short, but, the, but I think the Citrus Bowl, I mean, he, you could argue he was maybe the best player on the team. Yep. Uh, in that in that game and so you got him you know Ryan Hayes Andrew Stuber have kind of played uh, Zach Carpenter they're very excited about the the other guard spots I mean I, I think I said it in a, in a comment on my depth chart story you could really put Rumler Filiaga Stuber and Barnhart in a in a jar draw a name draw two names and that could be your starting duo at guard so I feel like there's a lot of depth and there's a lot of size and there's a lot of strength. Where, how do you feel in terms of this? I feel like of all these things that we're about to list, I think we have nine total. I feel like this one is maybe the easiest one for Michigan to get, but to get a really strong offensive line uh, and, and, you know, kind of maybe not replicate what happened last year, but start mowing people down again, make that a little bit of your culture similar to, to Wisconsin and a little bit what Ohio State's starting to build. Well, you're in a position now. Hayes is a third year. Filiaga's a fourth year. You're in, and you're in a, they're in a finally, it's, it took them a long time, but they're finally in a position now where the new guys that will play are either incredibly experienced within the system and with the coach or they were very highly touted recruits and beat out the that can beat out guys. yes that can beat that have beaten out experienced guys that looked ready to play mm-hmm. and that's where I think you you know on paper losing four starters always looks really iffy on the offensive line but yeah you have a, a bookend in Mayfield you have a guy in Hayes who we've kind of always talked about it one was given the offensive lineman of the week award in the season opener last year when Runyon couldn't go. And then, yeah, in the middle, I think the biggest question, even with the hype is Carpenter. I feel like at guard, I think, I think whoever wins those guard positions, I think they're going to get very high quality play out of there. Not to say they won't get high quality play if Carpenter wins the center spot, but center is a really important position. Cesar Ruiz was very, very good last year, obviously. I mean, he parlayed his, his play into a first-round draft pick. Um, so, right. you know, I mean, you're missing – you know, you're not just losing your starting left tackle. You're losing a first-round draft pick at the center position. You know, so I think the onus 
uh, for whoever, you know, wins that center spot. I think that's where some of the pressure is really going to be because, yeah, I think between the four guys you mentioned with Filiaga, Rumler, uh, Stuber, and Barnhart, you know, figuring out the guard deal there, I, I think, yeah, that'll be something where I think that's going to be, again, that's really kind of what I'm talking about when I talk about it's either going to be a guy who's in their third or fourth year in the system or it's going to be a high four-star prospect who beats out one of those guys to get on the field. And that's what some of the, that's what the top programs in the country do year in and year out have elite recruits who come in and either wait their turn or they win the job against another, you know, cause Philly Aga was a highly touted recruit as well. I mean, he had 35, 40 offers. So, you know, I think that's where it gets interesting, but yeah, it's weird. Like I said, you think this would be like a huge, huge concern, but with Warner's pedigree, I mean, you look at what he did with Runyon. We were just talking about that. I don't know if it was on the board, but maybe his best coaching job so far, he turned Runyon into a draft pick after he looked at, you know, never really knew what you were going to get from him uh, after his first couple of years, let alone after the season opener against Notre Dame two years ago where he struggled mightily. Uh, at that point, if you thought, ever thought he was going to be drafted, I think people would have said you were crazy. So, um Long leash for Warner. Obviously, he's earned it, you know. And I, th- I think, yeah, of the four that we'll talk about, this one's the one that I'm actually probably least concerned about as well. Yeah, yeah. I think, and probably the polar opposite, the one I I really don't know what is going to happen with this one. But he says, if big game Don Brown returns, and this stat, there's a lot of stats you could do for these games, but he mentions against Alabama, Ohio State, twice, Wisconsin, and Florida in the past two seasons. The Wolverines allowed 46 points per game and 7.6 yards per play. And I often tell, I guess my family members, but, but some you know other fans as well, uh, I say, look, today's college football, you're not going to hold a championship caliber team to 20 points. I mean, the days, those days are gone. Um, you know, I guess it could happen if the weather's really bad or if, if it's truly an exceptional showing, but I think Alabama didn't, I think they scored at least 35 points every game last year. I think LSU scored at least, um, 42 points in every game last year. That's, that's off the top of my head. Ohio state, I think they scored like almost 700 points in the season. It's the money games nowadays are high scoring. They are. And, and that's just the way it is. So there's going to be some give. I mean, Don Brown's not going to shut anybody out in terms of, you know, top 10 teams and teams with high flying offenses. But at the same time, those big plays just seem to really add up. And I think maybe Penn state last year was the perfect example. Cause I felt Steve, I think you and I are on the same page. That felt like a really winnable game for Michigan where I would argue Michigan outplayed Penn State and that's not to say that they deserve to win or anything like that but I think they the yardage totals were pretty lopsided in Michigan's favor Um, it felt like Michigan was moving the ball and making a lot of stops but some of those big plays you know the KJ Hamler to Pat Fryermuth um, there was other two to two to Hamler one to Fryermuth and there was one more more than half of their yardage came on four plays and within two plays of all of those plays they scored a touchdown. And so to me, I think if I'm to pinpoint 
you know, Don Brown's defense, why it struggles in big games. I think it comes down to the big plays, you know, the, the one mismatch out of 50 plays or the one miscue. Um, but I think Aiden Hutchinson brought up a good point. He says, you know, last year after the Ohio State game, and, and Cameron Grone said something similar after the Alabama game, but he says, you know, we're not going to hold Ohio State, we're not going to shut them out, but we can't be giving up 50, 60 points either. Uh, Steve, your thoughts, I mean, this, this sounds obvious, allow fewer points and you will probably win more games. But looking at today's college football, what, what can Michigan do? to limit it to the point where they can go on and win some of these big games. Uh, to me, I think the big answer is rounding out the lineup. We'll talk about that in a moment. And then defensive speed. I think they might have the speed this year, but at the same time, every year college football becomes more and more of an offensive game and Don Brown, his defense, they have to figure out a way to, to hang on. It's, I mean, the, some of the big games where they've, like really kind of failed is weird to me is like I feel like there's almost been like a different story in every one as to why and it's so it's to me it's almost been weird or difficult to find a pattern uh, I think they packed it in against Wisconsin after they started to get down big I think that game mm-hmm. they just flat out folded defensively uh, missed assignments just what I thought was poor play Penn State, yeah, I thought was a schematic deal for the most part, like you said, where uh, schematics in a scenario-based standpoint. Because like you said, the bulk of the game, they shut them down. But a couple of the mismatches, you know, Penn State took extreme advantage of the mismatches when they had them. And I think that that was a schematic deal. Ohio State, to me... Michigan between the years well I think it's mostly been up front and it's been more than anything it's always been their inability to stop the run against Ohio State I think that's what kills them every single year in that game Uh, and it it might be between the ears because you think about you know uh, 18 especially how Ohio State looked heading into that game, their offensive line was terrible. I believe they'd given up the most sacks in the Big Ten, or they were one of the worst uh, protectors of the pass in the Big Ten. And then they came out and played just an insane game up front in 18. And then last year, I mean, they ran the ball at will. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've kind of I've thought, like I said, I think it's just been a variety of things. Now, that's where you can kind of get into the debate of how much is that how much of that is coordinator related? How much of that is just roster related? Um, I don't know, but I agree though. It's, it's a big enough pattern in the macro sense to it, to make it a completely fair question. Right. Just right. The, to me, it's like the detail, like it's hard to parse through the details. Cause like I said, I feel like every one of those games has been different. I mean, like, like I said, go back to 18 with Ohio state. Uh, I don't think Dwayne Haskins got touched. That entire everyone wanted to talk about Brand, them picking on Brandon Watson and Michigan not being able to cover the pass. I literally don't think he was hurried one time in that entire game. He was clean in the pocket for four quarters and had all the time in the world to throw the football. To me, that was a bigger, much, much bigger deal than Michigan's corners not being able to cover these guys for three or four seconds. Uh, so, but then last year, it was Dobbins, 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 
pass, you know, <laughs> which that's just classic, pure football, run, 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 set up the throw. I mean, that's how they beat them. You know, and I don't, it's going to be hard for any defense and any coordinator to beat a high powered offense like that when you can't stop the run. So I, it's, it is, I think it's the biggest question because yeah. And I, so I guess we're in agreement in that one as well, just because, you know, there is a bit of a pattern there. Um, they've done it. They've, they've come out then and looked like they, then they'll pull out a game like they did against Notre Dame last year where all of a sudden they just, their hair's on fire. Um, but, but you yeah. only get one slip up, right? If you're trying to become a national title. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. And I do agree. They have the, you mentioned the speed, the speed at safety, I think is one thing that, could really end up being a big benefit for them this year, having speed across the board at safety to where you, I think you got to think that Hill is a guy that they'll, that I think they'll finally feel comfortable throwing either of their safeties out in man-to-man coverage uh, in like deep, potentially deep passing situations. So I always feel bad for Metellus because I just think, there were times where he was just put in a position where he was not, there was just no way he was going to win. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think Hill or Hawkins are as susceptible as to those types of scenarios in the passing game. So that's one area where I think Michigan really, you know, could be better. Yeah. You think about it though, between Thomas Hill Hawkins and say, you know, there's been a lot of hype about DJ Turner who might be as fast as any of them. That's four guys who are probably under four, four, five. So it'll it should be their fastest secondary they've had under Harbaugh. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. So, yep. Well, that's one component. And, you know, there there's lots of questions about well, really the whole team. I think you know you've already touched on defensive tackle. That's one area. Uh, linebackers, another area. I I don't think that. It's not to say the linebackers aren't good. But do they have the the correct speed to contain a true high flying offense? Which, which to be frank, I, I'm only seeing one on the schedule, at least in the in the regular season, and that's Ohio State. You know, Penn State, they've got some they've got some dudes, but I don't think they have any any absolute burners. So maybe they've got it. Maybe maybe they do. And and I think you bring up a good point. Part of what makes this tough for Don Brown is that it does seem to be a slightly different story each time. And, and you know, he can learn and adjust, I think, as good as any coach in the country. But if there's another thing that they bring to the table, or if the, if, if the opposing team can pinpoint another pattern or tendency or predictability of Michigan's defense, well, it only takes like one quarter for it to, for a game. You know, think about the Penn State game. How did that look that after one quarter? They were playing uphill the rest of the game. And, Wisconsin uh, was was in a similar boat. Now Ohio State and Alabama, it was more late in the game, but it just um, you know Michigan has a lot of faith in Don Brown, and I think and I don't think it completely falls on him. We've seen some mental mistakes in some of these losses, but that's the big one. I mean, quarterback and and big play, big game defense. I mean, those that's those are the big Kahuna's, and maybe it's oversimplifying, but that's just what stands out to me. Uh, next one, final one from Bill. He says, if the red zone is friendlier, now we don't have to spend 
a ton of time on it because he basically outlines it. He says Michigan averaged 4.9 points per scoring opportunity in the red zone, 34th in uh, college in FBS. The defense allowed 5.0, 115th. That actually flips Michigan to negative red zone efficiency. And that is not even close to what the college football playoff teams do. I mean, they average about 1.1 point red zone efficiency. Not They're not in the negatives. And so I think Michigan's defense does a good job keeping teams out of the red zone. But, Steve, your thoughts? Maybe this, is, this comes down to the um, defensive tackle. I don't want to sound too mean, but they, they were not what they needed to be at defensive tackle last season from a strength and talent and ability standpoint. And so to me, I think that's part of it. Uh, maybe coverage in high trafficked areas. That is one area where the red zone is a little different than just keeping up with a guy on a, on a go route is there's a little bit less space. And so there's going to be more creative routes. Any, any thoughts on the red zone efficiency? It seems like the offense, I mean, 34th, you can probably work with that. Maybe, maybe Nico Collins and Nick Eubanks and Eric all become uh, a little bit more even more efficient in the red zone this year. But it's, to me, I think the 115th in red zone defense, that is something, something's got to change there if they want to, if they want to improve their stock in 2020. I mean, that's, if that's not a, an indication that they need to be more stout up front, right? Cause either you're not stopping the run or you're not get pressuring the quarterback into making mistakes or throwing incompletions. I mean, it's, to me, it seems that simple. That was one of those stats that we said before we got on, you know, didn't know this, didn't know that stat, but once you see it written out, it's not super surprising. I think it's, mm-hmm. a, I think defense a little bit lower than what I would have thought, but not that there was that big, like you knew there'd be a gap between offensive success and defensive lack of success, I guess. So. Yeah, well, those were bills. We, we got four more that we can do, uh, four and a half. Let's pause for a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be back with the rest of the list momentarily. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And we're back getting to our final few ways we think Michigan can become a national title contender. Let's, let's do yours. I think it's an interesting one. It's, you you want to see an offensive skill player take the leap. And by the leap, I guess we could loosely define it as uh, you know, first-team All-American. But I think one other definition, I forgot I tweeted this out, but I tweeted this out after the draft because you know, I was doing all these stories on Michigan's really impressive NFL draft success. I mean, the numbers are, are there. They're top five in the country. Really, no matter how you shake it out at producing NFL draft talent in the last five years. But one thing that's been missing really for the last 15 years is top 100 skill position draft picks. There's been one in the last 15 years. I'm sorry, the last 13 drafts. And it was Devin Funches. 
And so by skill position, I mean quarterback, running back, wide receiver. I know we just talked about quarterback, but running back and wide receiver can, can make a big difference in a team as well. So this was yours, Steve. I'll let, I'll let you define it a little bit more. But you want to see a skilled position player take the leap and kind of become a star, become a player that teams are having nightmares about. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's, well, your stat about the draft, I mean, kind of illustrates that uh, as, as well as possible because it just, it feels like it's been a long time. You think of the guy, you think of like a Braylon Edwards, even a Mario Manningham, really. I mean, uh, he's at running back, even a Mike Hart. I know Mike Hart wasn't, you know, didn't have a long NFL career by any means, but was a guy that was a problem. And a guy that you had to be worried about uh, when you're scheming against Michigan defensively. Not, and again, they've had guys that, uh, you know, that you've had to scheme against defensively. But, you know, I'm looking – I think one of the things they need is, is a guy – and I think the two guys that immediately come to mind, I think most fans would agree, are, are obviously are Nico Collins and Zach Charbonnet. I think are the two guys, you know, if even one of them, with both of them being capable, can kind of take that next step to yeah like first or second round draft pick type play where you're a feared offensive player a guy that you can get the ball to in you know high pressure situations and know that they're going to do something or at least or be good enough to draw enough attention defensively to get the ball to somebody else you know, a lot easier than you would have had to otherwise. I mean, that's one of the values of having a great player is it makes everything easier for the other players on the field, you know, but to get somebody to get to that level this year, I think is, I think it's pretty much, it's paramount to, yeah, to winning more than nine or nine, like winning nine, 10 games to taking that next step. I think you have to have, obviously you got to have good quarterback play. We already talked about that, but I think the other thing is that that quarterback is going to need somebody they can count on, you know, uh, in, in high pressure situations. So, yeah. And so, like I said, Collins, Charbonnet, the first two that come to mind, one guy I wouldn't write off though. I just, I think Giles Jackson has a yeah. super, super high ceiling. Some of that He's, stuff you can't coach. Yeah. Right. Uh, super young for his class too. I think that's another thing to remember with him. Uh, I think he was 17 years old for the entire college football season last year. Just the bowl game, he was 18. Yeah, so but that's insane. Uh, right. and he's returning kicks against Maryland for a touchdown as a 17-year-old. I mean, that's pretty stinking impressive. So uh, he's another guy I think is maybe the one guy who could go from, like, contributor to big leap, you know. But the other guys, Charbonnet, Collins, more established guys, I think you could take that next step. Yeah, and I guess to further illustrate this, you know, the the top 100 skill position, just imagine if Michigan had a J.K. Dobbins or a Jonathan Taylor, two, if I'm not mistaken, second-round picks last year. If they had one of those guys on their team, I, I personally, I think the season looks a little different. You know, or, or look at a, a top-tier receiver. If they had a, oh, who's a good, maybe a Tyler Johnson from Minnesota on their team. What does that look like? Or, or quarterback, which we've already discussed. But, um, yeah, I think that's a good one. It's a good one. I'm trying – the last um, All-American – well, they, they had Jake Butt. 
but in terms of quarterback, running back, wide receiver, it's it's been a long time since they had a first team All American. I'm just trying to look think about the list that here. Think, think about that though. They had a first team All American, even at like not your classic skill position, but at tight end, and that's and they were a foot away from probably going to the playoff. Mm-hmm. You know, not saying I mean Jake Butt was a had a huge impact in that, but still like that goes to show you how having elite players uh, can make a big difference for you. The last consensus first team All American at a skill position. Do you have a guess, Steve? Jeez, was it before Braylon? It was Braylon. He was the last one. Yeah. That's the only yeah. That's been a long time. Been a long time. Chris Perry was there as well in, in 2003. Um, but yeah, it is. Did Train? It's was Train? Train? Anthony Thomas? Was he? Did he ever get there? Uh, I'm not seeing him on the list. No. I'm not. No, I don't, I don't think he did. Um, but still, you know, the, the point remains become a star at a skill position. You're, you're probably a better team than, than you were when you're not. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that simple, but sometimes it is that simple. Uh, one, one area I have, this was, this was a me thing. I've noticed just cause I do the position group previews every year is it just always seems like every year there's a position group that. Michigan and its fans and, and everybody who kind of analyzes the team are kind of like, eh, that's not, we'll see what they get out of that position group. You know, I think early on in Harbaugh's tenure, it was, it was offensive line. Uh, you know, I think, I think in 2017, there were a few spots uh, in 2018. I think oh, I'm trying to think what, what it was in 2018. I mean, it was kind of a little bit of that secondary, a little bit of the linebacker speed at this spot and that spot. Uh, defensive tackle play, I think you could make a pretty good case for. And then last year, I think it was really just defensive tackle, but it was it was rather notable. Um, I th- When you look at some of the teams that make the playoff, they don't really have those kind of holes. I mean, sometimes they do. Oklahoma with its defense, I, it's not lost on me. But, but in terms of teams that are, say, like Ohio State, Alabama, like what's, what was Alabama's hole last season? That their defense was slightly worse than the elite defenses they had done for a decade? You know, what, was, what was Clemson's faux pas? What was their you know, red flag position group well, or position? Yeah, Clemson doesn't play anybody for anybody to realize. Yeah, it's to hard to see tell, right? To see where their holes are, really. So, but but the general idea is, I think for Michigan, who again will not be, you know, I don't think they're rolling out a roster with eighteen five stars anytime soon, and so they kind of need to, they need to be well rounded. In addition to the depth, I think you bring up a good point. It does seem like each year there's a little bit more depth in Michigan's favor, even with the transfers. Um, They go into each year with a few position groups they feel great about. But to me, I think you got to get rid of those red flags. And and it's, it's, it's not a snap your finger and do it. But I think if you're talking about what's separating Michigan from losing to Ohio State by 27 and contending with them down in Columbus this season, I think you can pin, I mean, there's a few question mark position groups and there's a few position groups that they know they need more from. 
And I think, you know, you asked me before the show, the position groups, I think it is, and I'll let you share your thoughts too. I think it's defensive tackle. I think it's, um, well, just because it was a, it was a serious injury and, and we have to see, uh, will linebacker, I think Viper linebacker, I think the second cornerback spot, I mean, Vincent Gray and DJ Turner, they'll battle it out. You assume they'll get good cornerback play, but what will it look like against some of the best receivers in the country? And then I think, I think you could give the interior offensive line, I think is another group where you're like, seems promising. You know, you and myself, Steve, have a, have a sense of, okay, Michigan feels pretty good about, about this player and that player, but until it occurs on the field, I guess those are the areas that I'm looking at the harshest saying, if Michigan's going to quote unquote, take the leap, they need those position groups to at the very least be top three in the big 10. You can't have a position group that that's like seventh or eighth or below average big 10. Some teams maybe could pull it off. But I think if Michigan's going to try to win, I think they need, I think they need every position group to have, you know, something that they're pounding their chest about. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I agree on second cornerback. And I agree on defensive tackle. You know, defensive tackle will be very interesting uh, with two guys, Mozzie Smith. You know, we, we've heard good things. Mm-hmm. We, didn't ever, we didn't really get the opportunity to see him last year, but a highly touted recruit who has the size and ability to, again, I think at least be a contributor in his second year. And then Jess Spate, too, who I don't think we've talked nearly enough about as a guy that coaches seem to love and a guy that might be ahead of Smith on the depth chart heading into fall ball uh, at this point. We'll see there, but at the very least, he's going to play. Right. I think you got Kemp and Hinton established in the middle and then again you still have donovan jeter as well a guy i think the staff still has hopes for so potentially depth there but yeah i mean there are still i think question marks after you get to your first two because i I think hinton is going to be really really good and then uh the second cornerback spot that really just depends on to me it depends on dj turner not because i think dj turner is going to beat vincent gray necessarily but if turner is as good as the coaches seem to say he is, then and Gray wins that job, then all of a sudden you might have three really good cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's one of those things where, you know, if Turner's as good as they say, you know, you, you're looking at having – you maybe have will have depth there um, if Gray can beat him out. So uh, that's the other one. Um, otherwise, yeah, I mean, offensively, center – more than any of the either of the guard spots, like you said, you got veterans in Filiaga and Stuber who could win those jobs. Guys who've been in the system for three plus years, you know. And if 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 a Rumler or a Barnhart beats out either of those guys at either spot, you got to start being excited about right. what those guys will bring to the table. You know, for me, like I said, I think we go back to we talked a little bit about Carpenter. I think that's where the it'll be very interesting. Uh, you know, a redshirt freshman starting center I mean that pretty much means that you think this guy's gonna be a three or four year starter for you so um, you know and, and does he come right in and run with it you know I think that that's a legit question yeah yeah I think so and and again don't 
I mean, you could just say, oh yeah, be an All-American at every position. No, no, that's, that's probably unrealistic. Uh, but can you have a team that kind of just, because look, Ohio State, they spend all year understanding that they, they need to beat Michigan somehow. And so if they find a weakness, uh, we've, we've seen it for, what, 15 of the last 16 years, whatever the stat is, they're going to exploit it. And so having fewer of those <laughs> is, uh, is to Michigan's benefit. And, and I think that comes down to, and it, it has, you know, I will give Michigan credit. I don't think they're ignorant of the position groups. I don't think they're like, ah, yeah, we're not going to be good at tackle this year. We'll figure it out. I mean, Don Brown really tried to scheme Josh Uche in more, tried to scheme around the, the, um, you know, the couple defensive tackles just didn't, didn't feel ready yet. And there were some injuries as well. And, and there's some development too, but, um, you know, they've tried to scheme around it. They've tried to figure, figure this and figure that out. You know, they, when 2017, it seemed like offensive line was a big red flag. Well, they, they hired a pretty darn good coach to, to come in and take it over. And so I, I don't think they've been dismissive of it, but you look at Ohio state, you know, their weaknesses are a lot lower or a lot, a lot more mitigated, I think, than, than Michigan's. Uh, next one on the list, this is a U1. I'll let you take the lead, but you, you bring up, I'm going to call it do more, listen less. And this oh, is no. related to, this is related, because I'm not saying say less. I mean, you can still talk, talk the talk, talk the smack, whatever you need to do to, to build confidence in your team. But you've noticed, I'm usually not near, or not, not as much on social media after the games, there's a little bit of you. You think the vocal minority, kind of the fan vitriol, has seeped into Michigan just a little bit. Where they've got a, you know, it's, it's one thing to have a chip on your shoulder, but maybe maybe it's a little in their psyche a little bit more than it should. I'll let you explain it the rest of the way. Um, but but Michigan, in your eyes, needs to block out some of the. Um, some of the skeptics, you know, in, within their own fan base a little bit more than they are right now. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, keep it short. Cause I didn't, I don't want to ramble on about this too much, but it is something I've kind of noticed. And I kind of wonder a little bit sometimes uh, cause you've seen, you know, you see assistant coaches have responded to fans on Twitter, that vocal minority um, and, I, and players, can be combat have been combative in the past, like after losses and stuff. And um, it's one of those things where like, you know, critics are always going to be there even if they were winning, you know, and I just, I don't know. I just, I kind of wonder if it's something that maybe Michigan has paid a little bit uh, too much attention to. Cause I mean, the fact is it's simple. Michigan is under, arguably more pressure than any program in the country right now to win mm-hmm. at least as far as fan expectations go and I, and I think right. it's at the point where it's it's fair too I'm not saying that it's unfair or that the expectations are unrealistic we we talk about year six you know um, this year and you know I think the combination of the fact that it's been so long they've been so close or they've been so close you know and that the biggest hurt the one hurdle they haven't conquered is their major rival who you talk about social media has the most annoying fan base in the country. You know, I think it eats at eats at fans 
who then, you know, it kind of, kind of funnels through to the coaches. Some of them get through the coaches. I just kind of think my feel is I just think sometimes there's a little bit too much attention paid to that. Uh, and I think it has, it can have a negative effect on, you know, I think there's sometimes maybe a little bit of a mutual misperception there. You know, I think that Michigan players have almost, and the coaches have become a little bit jaded towards the fan base in certain instances when really, you know, 95, 96, whatever percent of the fans are, you know, want to, everyone wants to win, but aren't like, <laughs> you know, calling for coaches' heads, uh, you mm-hmm. know, that, that type of deal, stuff like that. So something small, I'd actually be, you know, commenters or whoever, anybody be interested say, like, am I off on this one or not? This was one more of a kind of my feeling just from what I've seen and stuff. If people feel the same way, I, this is one I'm totally open to, disagreement on because I feel like it, it maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking too much on it uh, but it's just something I've kind of realized and seen you know when you see an assistant coach responding to like random fan on Twitter it's kind of like um, does that fan deserve to get put in their place possibly very well could but is it worth you know this just feels like a waste of time I mean I don't we don't do that and <laughs> we <laughs> when we when people say bad things about our stories or yeah rare i mean rarely i mean i might have used i used to more um but i don't i rarely engage with that stuff at all anymore at this point so you know but i don't know i mean they're under way more pressure than i am obviously so right. there, there is that part of it but uh yeah it's just something i kind of thought about for a while something i kind of wonder if maybe you know put the phones down a little bit and I don't know. It's weird because it sounds like I'm like t- like telling them like to do what to yeah, do. It sounds like you're. It sounds like you're doing a do more, say less. Yeah. Bit here. <laughs> it's not. It's not so. It is the you the listen less. I think is actually really the best way to say it because I think it is. They just need to block out some of that noise from within their own fan base. Um, and again, like I said, I want to make it clear. I'm not saying that fans should not have super high expectations every year for the Michigan program. Not at all. And that they that they if they want to vocalize it to staff, special staff, yeah, players. I think sometimes it goes a little overboard. Uh, actually, I think a lot of times it goes overboard uh, when you're, you know, attacking the players personally or whatever. But uh, but I don't think it's unreasonable or anything at all. I'm just I think on Michigan's end, I think it may be best served to just kind of let that stuff be, uh, you know, so. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's some fairness to it. And I, look, it's it's so hard to not make this a mental thing for Michigan. They are the only school in the country that is a quote unquote good program or quote unquote top tier, quote unquote blue blood, whatever phrase you want to use. They are the only ones who are one in fifteen against their rivals in the last sixteen years. They're the only ones who've gone fifteen years without a conference title. They are the only ones who have gone twenty years without a top five finish. And, and I don't say that to say Michigan is trash or Michigan is, you know, this, this putzing program, but is there a fan base that has as much passion as, and optimism and, and high expectations that has been kind of beaten down for almost a generation now, 15 years? That's, I mean, it's, it, frustration's going to mount. And, and I think Michigan Again, the players, you, I really don't have too much of an issue with them chirping back at fans. I mean, it doesn't do any good, but you know, I know how I was when I was 
18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25 years old. You know, it's, there's a lot of, lot of incentive to, to say something back. Coaches, though, they have to understand this, is a, this isn't a normal program year in, year out. You know, some years you'll be good, some years you won't be as good. This is a program that is starving for something good to happen at the end of the season. I didn't even mention their bowl record. And so it's, yeah, it's, um, I get where the frustration comes from. I do. I, I do understand where fans get frustrated and I won't, you know, we're not into comment policing or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, can the coaches, you know, can this, can this become a negative factor if it's not controlled or, or mitigated or discussed? Yeah, I think it absolutely can. Uh, final one on the list for me. Steve, if you have more, you're, you're welcome to weigh in. But the road games is such a puzzler. Well, it's not too puzzling. It is hard to win football games on the road. But, but Michigan has not gone undefeated on the road since 1997. And everyone knows what happened that year. And, you know, a lot of people talk about what Michigan's record is. I, I, I actually have the stat. They are 46-9. and nine. In the first 11 games of the season, they are 1-9 in the last two games of the season under Jim Harbaugh. They literally have as many losses in Ohio State and the bowl game as they do in all their other games. That said, if you think about 2016, if you think about 2018, if they can beat Iowa and Notre Dame on the road, they they might have commanded a playoff spot. They would have been in the conversation. And in 2015, if they handle Utah on the road, then you're looking at a team that's probably going to New Year's Six Bowl. And 2019, you know, it happened twice. They lost to Penn State and Wisconsin. Same thing in 2017. You know, you, you win one, maybe in each of those seasons, I think the perception changes a little bit. I think I don't think they're landing 17th on 24-7 sports preseason poll if if they find a way to squeak out a win against Penn State last year and so every every chance I've gotten this offseason you know talking to either former players or uh, former coaches or whoever I've tried to gauge kind of what what goes into this road issue because away from Michigan Stadium they are not that much higher than 500 and so a few things come to mind one I think everyone who's kind of paid attention, knows Jim Harbaugh isn't really a pregame speech guy. And at Michigan Stadium, you have the banner, you have the band, you have the 110,000 supporting you. It's very easy to get hyped up on your own. Some of these road games, not so much. There isn't going to be that natural energy. Now, Ohio State and Penn State, I think there will be. There might be nerves with it, but there will be energy. But I'm thinking like, uh, you know, Wisconsin, the stadium was like half full. And by the time the atmosphere got loud, Michigan was already in a 21-0 hole. And I think about, you know, even, even some of their games where they've struggled at, at Indiana or, um, you know, didn't necessarily look as, as good as they wish they had. Like, think, think like a Minnesota in 2015. A lot of it, you know, can you create your own energy? So Jim Harbaugh is not a speech guy or pregame speech guy. What happens? So who, who takes control? Who takes charge? Who has this team ready to go 
before the game starts. And I guess you could say it's on the coaches. I think it's on the players. Because another thing that I've talked to a couple players, and they've mentioned this, and Devin Bush comments that during Super Bowl week were in, in line with this. And he said, you know, Michigan, they just need this, this confidence and this swag and this, this self-belief that they are going to kick the rear end of this other team. And again, at home, the stats are there. They've done it. And it's very easy to get excited if you're a player. On the road, you know, we got 110 or 105,000 Ohio State or Penn State fans. You know, the other team's very confident. How do you match that confidence? And so that's something, that's another component of it. And then finally, I think that second half. I mean, when was Michigan's last second half comeback on the road against the you know, let's, I don't, I don't know, you know, ranked whatever against a good team. When did they really have a second half comeback on the road against a ranked team? I mean, you brought up when was the last time they, they haven't beaten that many ranked teams on the road period. But I think that Penn state game last year, I think the Notre Dame game in 2018, the Utah game and the Iowa game, those were all games. Michigan could have won had they had a second half comeback in them. And I think you can look at the Ohio state losses too. Those were winnable games that, that they, it just, it's hard because you have to create your own momentum and the other team can kind of, kind of build it every time they get a first down or whatever. But I just, I feel like if they had just a little bit more in those second halves, again, Michigan isn't, they aren't in the, in the big 10 basement. They aren't, you know, out of the top 25. If we're talking about ways they become a national title contender, it's it's a thin margin. It's a thin line between even if even at nine and four, but you know, averaging what nine point four wins per season, you're really looking at a win and a half more, and you're a playoff contender. If you look at who who makes the playoffs, it's it's teams with only one regular season loss. Usually, it's conference champions as well, but you can. You can get away with, with a loss and come back and make the playoff. But you can't get away with two. And so, to me, I think the road games, there's three ways that they can do better in it. Confidence, um, you know, getting inspired starts, and second half, I guess, that extra oomph. If they figure that out, Steve, I don't know about you. I'm looking at the Minnesota depth chart. I'm looking at the Washington depth chart. If they can figure out how to perform as well on the road or close to as well on the road as they do at home, I think they go into next year's horseshoe, the game. I think they go in 11-0. But they do have to figure that out because there's a lot of teams out there that you know, want to win every game, and people don't like to lose at home. And so how does Michigan kind of rise to Because I think Urban Meyer was amazing at winning on the road. I think that was the biggest difference between other than recruiting between Jim Trestle and Urban Meyer was Urban Meyer just won on the road. They just, he found a way to make sure they never stunk wherever they played. And so to me, I think that's a, that's a big one. That's when I feel like, I mean, last time they went winless or undefeated on the road, they won a national title. So that, that has to be one of the differences. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I was trying to think. That's why I said, like, think 06 against Notre Dame was the 
last time that they, you know, what I would say had a super impressive signature. Uh, yeah. Like a signature impressive performance on the road. Uh, and you could then, you could then argue later that season with uh Sean Crable's late hit uh, in Columbus that you could argue was the primary factor in Michigan losing that game. This has really been kind of downhill uh, mm-hmm. since that point. And again, you have to, you got to remember, went through two subpar tenures in that time frame. Right. It's not as right. if like Michigan has been winning nine or 10 games, but is losing two or three on the road every year. I mean, there were some pretty bad years mixed in there home and away. Uh, but yeah, under Harbaugh, it's something that's, that's, you know, continued. I mean, there's really no way around it. And I don't, I mean, to me, that's, this is the most fascinating one because is, is there a rhyme or reason to it or are they just getting beat by high quality teams, you know, in their home in those teams, home stadiums. Right. I mean, it could, could just be like a law of averages type deal. I mean, cause the teams that they're losing to on the road are, was it 18 where they went a combined, the teams they lost to on the road went a combined like 33 and two or something, you know, it, was, it wasn't as if they were like, it was one of the last couple of years where the teams they lost yeah. to on well, the road. Think about 2018, Ohio state won the big 10 Notre Dame made it to the playoff. Yeah. That's, right. that's high quality losses this past year. Um, you know, Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio State, all had good seasons. Yeah, I mean, the quality of losses is, is good, but, right, but I think the, the easy point. answer to becoming a Big Ten title contender is probably the other teams getting worse. Yep. But if you're looking at Michigan, they got to find a way. Yep. Find a way to be better than these teams. You know, in the night game, in the whiteout, in the, in, when game day is in town. Some, some, you got to find something right. when you're in these other stadiums. I agree. That wasn't an excuse either. I mean, because, yeah, you got at some point, like, got to start winning, uh, pulling one of these out, you know, pulling one out a year or something. I mean, because, again, you're talking about these little, these little things, these things that make the difference. And, and that's from a macro standpoint, that's been the big one is their inability to put it together on, on the road uh, in a big situation. And, yeah. Washington season opener. And then, yeah, Minnesota, where it's that whole by far their biggest home game of the season. So the crowd is going to be, you know, the hair is going to be on fire. You know, that Michigan seems to get one of those every year. Uh, As like, I feel like, granted, they weren't nearly as good as I think Minnesota will be this year. But, you know, I think Purdue a couple years ago had won a couple big Mm. games. Then Michigan went into, uh, West Lafayette and you know they came out with the win but it was a closer game I think than what you thought it would be and uh you know so yeah gets that's definitely a hump from the macro sense that they got to get over at some point yep well just like that Steve we came up with nine ways they could Michigan has to I mean they probably need like at least four I would think to be a true bona fide national championship contender so we came up with nine uh, this one, you know, we're always curious what the fans think, but I, I wonder if this will start an interesting discussion on either the message boards or, or elsewhere is, you know, we had nine. Is there more? Is there another one? Is there one you think is significantly bigger than the other? Uh, be sure to let us know over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. I'm going to turn 
these into some stories too. I, you know, I, it's, it's nice to talk about it, but it's another thing to kind of do just a little bit more stat- statistical research, maybe reach out to, to some people who can weigh in on them. But it's a, it's a fascinating topic, and it's one I know. I don't know about you, Steve. I get asked all the time, like when I'm when I'm around Ann Arbor or you know talking with Michigan fans. They're like, "What what's it going to take?" And I'm like, "Well, there's there's a few ways. <laughs> there's a few things." And and I know Jim Harbaugh. I don't think he was completely off when he said Michigan is at, quote as close as you can possibly be. I think the question. I think he might have misunderstood the question because I think he's right in terms of Big Ten titles. Uh, national titles, there is another step, but really it's it's one and the same for Michigan. I mean, they're not winning a Big Ten title without – if they win the Big Ten title, I assume they're going to make the college football playoff in today's era of football. So um, curious to hear what you think as fans and listeners. If you like the podcast, uh, be sure to share it with your friends, rate it, uh, throw us a little rating on iTunes. We love to, love to see uh, good feedback, things like that. Uh, subscribe to it if you haven't. We also have recruiting podcasts on Sundays. Those have been very popular so far. Great way to get a recruiting scoop. So for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.